Welcome to the What the What podcast. Was that too loud? Maybe. Wow. That's the right <laughs> podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Okay. It's been so long. It's been so long. I don't even know. I mean, I'm not even using Ashby's thing now. Um, that's Ashby's job. That's Ashby's job, but, you know, I had to press the button, so... Ashley, can you hear us? All right. Uh, Welcome. Welcome to the What the What podcast. I am Eric Creech, and with me today, now that they are done escaping the quantum realm, we have Kyle Whitley. Yeah. And Ashby Brain. Yeah. Hello. Hello. And uh, this is the first time we've actually done anything in about six weeks, so it's it's really good to be back holding a microphone and making terrible innuendo jokes. So. I'll be honest, good. it was Feeling nice good. to have a little bit of a break, though. It was. Uh, good to refresh, um, especially over the holidays. Um, had a couple of weeks to get used to 2020 fun. Yeah. Yeah. The year of what the what. <laughs> That's a thing. That's a thing. So, um, And while we've been gone, we've there's been so much that's kind of happened in the pop culture world. Uh, we had Wonder Woman 1984 come out uh, yeah. uh, in theaters and on HBO Max. I think we've all seen it. Um, we will probably do a deep dive of Wonder Woman later this year, and we'll probably touch base on Wonder Woman 2 at some point. Uh, WandaVision dropped its first two episodes last Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashley, have you seen it? Yes. Okay. They're excellent. They're I mean, f- obviously, no spoilers. No spoilers on that. Definitely would recommend. Yes. Fantastic. And that will be something um, I'm hoping we'll probably uh, catch up to uh, next year. Um, when we uh, are caught up on all the Infinity Gauntlet um and MCU films next year. So uh, we'll definitely get around to discussing WandaVision probably in about a year's time. So uh, a lot of stuff. And then they've announced a few things. I know Deadpool's coming to the MCU, mm-hmm. uh, and it will be rated R. So I'm interested to see how they're going to do that. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier's yeah. coming in March, and you know we're just going to have to uh, – Ashby, I, I don't, know, don't know how Can't you're wait. containing your excitement at this point. Um, Barely. I, I, I'm, you know, with, with reports that they may be – um, moving Black Widow back again just due to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, right. I'm really excited that we're getting these MCU Disney Plus shows to kind of yes. fill the gaps. Well, it's one of those things yes. I'm glad to, especially that it's it's the characters used to from the movies. Yes. The same, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing on, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or anything, but the fact that you're getting the actors straight from the movies that, you know, it's something you've never seen before. You've never Absolutely. been able to have a TV show with the same actors, unless it was a TV show first. And then they made a film. Right. Deal. I, I, right. I wonder, you know, this is just my agents of shield fandom coming out. Um, had Disney plus existed seven years ago, would agents of shield still be considered like, I guess like semi canon to the uh, MCU film universe because, you right. know, it started off that way and then it took a weird detour about season five. Um, well, and I also feel like maybe Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. sort of, to give them credit, walked so that now these Disney Plus shows can run. Absolutely. Because even a few years ago when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was starting, we still, we were just on the precipice of TV really eclipsing cinema in the sense of viewership and, um, you know, revenues and what people were willing to watch and where they were willing to watch it and the kind of money that studios would put behind the quality of filming television. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like 
you know, maybe if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had started today, if it would have been, like you said, a little bit more enmeshed in the MCU, um, like it seems like WandaVision and, you know, Falcon Winter Soldier are going to be. Well, and here's the really cool thing, you know, with where the MCU is going in general with some of its storytelling, at least for Phase 4. It doesn't matter if it's been an MCU property or MCU adjacent property or if it's just a Marvel property in general. From what I'm understanding, all bets are off. If you're a Marvel character, I don't care if Sony made your movie or Fox made your movie or if, you know, you were made by some whatever, you have a possibility of being reverted back into the MCU. Um, with, Correct. With the rumors of what, everything going on with the Spider-Man 3 film, the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, right. Working uh, X-Men into Deadpool, Deadpool into the MCU. That means X-Men are in the MCU. 100%. Yep. 100%. And right. So, so with the, the idea of the multiverse coming and being a big part of Phase 4, Agent S.H.I.E.L.D. may find its way wrapped back up in the MCU before it's all said and done. I would love to see right. Chloe Bennett get another shot to play Daisy Johnson, a.k.a. Quake, uh, on the big screen, or at least yes. on one of these Disney Plus shows. I'd love to see her mm-hmm. in, uh, integrated maybe with uh, Miss Marvel, um, Kamala Khan, maybe She-Hulk, you know, just something really exciting there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm don't count Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. out yet. I know their seasons are, you know, they finished their run last summer, but I think their characters still have a there's still a chance we could pull in some of those characters into these shows. Well, I think so, too, because you've got – they're already talking about possibly bringing in finally some of the Netflix Marvel yes, characters. Yes, the rumor has it that um, Charlie Cox uh, may be appearing in Spider-Man 3 mm-hmm. as Daredevil, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. And I heard a rumor that Kristen Ritter was in talks to reprise her role as mm-hmm. Jessica Jones, which I would love for sure. because Jessica Jones was my favorite Netflix uh, mm-hmm. Marvel show. And uh, I felt like uh, she nailed nailed it. I mean, she just did a fantastic job, so – uh, would love the, uh, Marvel has got us set up, you know, with Endgame last year or two years ago. It's actually been two years now. That's so, <laughs> so insane. But with Endgame kind of like ending like this big run of superhero movies, like I had the thought like, okay, I don't really know what's next. Um, you know, I don't really know exactly what to be excited for. And Marvel has just said, okay, I'll hold my drink. And here's a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. That you right. could be excited for for the next decade, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I can't wait. So I'm re- I'm really glad WandaVision's kicking it off. It's not the way I don't think they intended for it to kick off, but um, no. but I'm I'm glad. I mean, it's we've had kind of we've had over a year of kind of like a um, like a palate cleanser where we didn't have any right. Marvel stuff, and now we can just jump into something super super weird, and I love it so. Not to- yeah, and it's interesting to me that they have given a definitive date for Falcon Winter Soldier, but they haven't given a definitive date for the Black Widow movie, especially now that they've clearly seen Wonder Woman kind of take that leap and say, you know, we don't want to delay this anymore. Mm-hmm. Here's how we're going to do it. Um, because there was a rumor going around for a while that the reason that a lot of these TV shows were getting pushed back wasn't necessarily that they hadn't been filmed or completed, though I think there was some of that with Falcon Winter Soldier. It was because these big movie premieres were being delayed because they did want those movies showed in cinemas. And there was a rumor that they couldn't show Falcon Winter Soldier before the Widow movie came out because there was going to be some kind of 
tie-in that was right. a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to me that they still are being sort of, you know, tight-lipped about how they're going to release Widow and when, but they've they've decided that they are going to move ahead with Falcon Winter Soldier. Absolutely. So um, with all that said, MCU is super exciting. But in our Run of the Infinity Gauntlet series, we're at the end of Phase 2. We're not even in Phase 3 yet. We're right. in Phase 2. So let's talk about Ant-Man today. And uh, before we do that, we want to thank you, the listener, for joining us. We would ask that you please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And, of course, rate and review us five stars only. And if you don't, Baskin-Robbins will find out. Baskin-Robbins Always finds out. Please follow us on our social media channels by searching for What the What Media. All one word. word. Uh, You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We're also on Twitter at WTW underscore media. Uh, Please share this with your friends. Uh, We would greatly appreciate it. Last time on the pod, you heard Eric and Kyle and maybe a very like whisper quiet tiny in the phone voice of me <laughs> discuss just a little Home bit alone too it was just like ashby what do you think i think that <laughs> it was like the, the a very quiet from, version of the teacher from, from uh, charlie brown um, yeah. charlie brown <laughs> i think we've got you somewhat fixed this time we'll we ho- i hope so i hope so <laughs> on today's episode though we're taking a deep dive, dive. Into 2015's Ant-Man. Here's your spoiler warning for today's episode. While Ant-Man is our primary focus, we may be discussing any and all things related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including Marvel television shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter, the tie-in comics, and any of the other 22 MCU films, taking the entire saga into account. So... Let's break into a place and steal some stuff by offering a brief recap of the movie. All right. Are y'all ready for this? Mm-hmm. Oh, we are ready. Yes. Let me set the scene for you. 1989. I was three years old. Kyle was two. Ashby was one. And also, mm-hmm. scientist Hank Pym shows up to the Triskelion to meet with a familiar face, Agent Peggy Carter, maybe a... Uh, uh, an older Howard Stark and uh, some guy named Mitch uh, who seems like a very nice character. I mean, just For sure. very great character. And uh, he, do, he is really upset with him because he, he's discovered that they are trying to replicate his Ant-Man shrinking technology. So believing the technology would be dangerous if replicated, Pym vows to hide it for as long as he lives and he resigns from his position in S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, not before... You know, pretty much bashing Mitch's face into the uh, to the table there. You know, after Mitch makes a comment about his wife. Um, in the present day, uh, Hank's estranged daughter Hope Van Dyne and his former protege Daring Cross, another great guy by the way, um, have forced him out of his company, uh, Pym Technologies. And Daring Cross is close to perfecting a shrinking suit of his own, the Yellow Jacket, which horrifies Hank Pym. Uh, meanwhile, upon his release from prison, a well-meaning thief. Uh, more like a cat burglar, uh, so to speak, Scott Lang. He moves in with his old cellmate, Luis, who is just a fantastic, fantastic guy. Um, Lang wants a job. He, you know, he has a master's degree in electrical engineering. He'll be fine, but he ends up getting fired from Baskin-Robbins instead. 
and he wants to visit his daughter Cassie, who's just adorable. Goes to her birthday party. Uh, his ex-wife and her fiance are not too pleased, and they're like, "Hey, we know you want to do the right thing, but you know you got to get a job, got to pay child support, got to get an apartment, and then we can talk about visitation rights." So. Uh, Scott does the math. It's going to take him over a year to do all that. He can't wait that long. Uh, his old cellmate, Luis, is like, hey, I got a tip. Um, you know, he found uh, from a guy when they were doing some wine tasting. You know, he doesn't like the reds, but there was this rose. It was a delight. It saved the day. Anyway, um, he ends up finding this tip that there's this old guy who has a safe. And this old guy seems loaded. So Scott, using his super cat burglar skills, uh, which impresses T.I. and the rest of the gang, uh, breaks into what turns out to be Hank Pym's house and discovers the Ant-Man suit, which he believes to be an old motorcycle suit. Um, coolest motorcycle suit I've ever seen, by the way. And he takes it home. He tries on the suit in a what I could only describe as a questionably not clean restroom in their apartment. <laughs> I mean, I got some notes on this. Like, clean the bathroom, guys. Um, that toilet, or not the toilet, the tub looks very, very unclean. Um, Lang tries the suit on and he accidentally shrinks himself, which was Hank Pym's plan. Hank's talking to him in the, uh, in the microphone that's in the uh, helmet of the suit, you know, a little trial by fire or well, more like by water actually. Um, and that naturally scares the mess out of Scott. So Scott goes to return the suit, but then he's arrested on site in a hilarious bit. He says, I didn't steal anything. I'm returning something I stole. (laughs) (laughs) Facepalm. Face bomb. So he ends up in prison. Uh, his wife's fiance is just disappointed. And Scott's lawyer comes to talk to him. Well, it's not really Scott's lawyer, it's Hank Pym, uh, which I have a question about that. Like, how does that work? Like, can you just show up to the police station and say, hey, I'm here to see my client? Like, is that is that how that works? <laughs> Ashby, do you know anything about that? I have no idea. Wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah, okay. All right. I figured the other three of us. Never never mind, never mind. <laughs> so um so anyway, um Hank Pym shows up and he wants Scott to become the new Ant Man. Um he actually manipulated Scott into stealing the suit, like he was the guy who kind of set it up from the beginning. I don't know like why he picked Scott, but okay. Um so Hank has been spying on Cross after discovering his intentions. His daughter, um, Hope, uh, has also kind of been on the inside trying to keep him from replicating the PIM particles. And um, they bust Scott out of prison. You know, he puts on the suit in 10 seconds, which was more than 10 seconds, but whatever. Fast. Uh, very fast. Very. You know, he should be Fast Man instead of Ant-Man. Well, I mean, it's a superhero suit, so it's got to be made, you know, to be put on quickly. Very quickly. Like, so we don't we don't get to see that exactly PG thirteen movie exactly. but still so and they start the train um, Scott you know uh, Hope you know trains him in some martial arts uh, Hank works with him with the ants he meets Anthony um, R I P Anthony oh my goodness and um, but yeah and we find a little more about the backstory between the resentment between Hope and her father um, you know her mother Janet apparently died. Um, and Hank reveals that Janet will disappear into a subatomic quantum realm while disabling a Soviet nuclear missile. Um, and Hank warns Lang that he could suffer similar fate if he overrides the suit's regulator. So, you know, that little piece of information will probably never come back into play ever again. Never. Just a, just a random 
happenstance to just, I don't even know why they mentioned it. So they send him to steal a device that will aid their heist uh, that they are trying um, to steal the yellow jacket uh, suit from Cross. Uh, they send him to uh, one of Howard Stark's old abandoned facilities, uh, except for now it's the Avengers headquarters. For sure. So, okay, all right. Yeah, cool. Hank, Hank Pym is apparently not up with the times. Mm-mm. Not not apparently. I mean, he really doesn't like Tony Stark or, or, any, or Howard Stark or any of the Starks. I mean, he's just really not a fan of the Starks in general. Despite the similarities, by the way, he disabled a, a nuclear missile. So did Tony. I mean, they have more in common than you think. Anyway, they Howard go. Stark and Hank Pym are really good at isolating their children. Yeah, I mean, they're hmm. really battling for father of the year there. Or, excuse me, <laughs> wor- worst father of the year. Um, so, yeah. So, Scott goes to the Avengers compound. He just wipes the floor with the Falcon. Um, poor Sam Wilson. Um, you know, old Tic Tac just beating the mess out of him. Um Turns out while that's happening, Cross perfects the yellow jacket uh, technology. While, you know, in the earlier scene, like we had saw that he was bringing in lambs to test it on. And just poor lambs. My goodness. How many? I mean, ugh. Um, and then also poor, uh, who was the uh, who was the guy that uh, questioned him? I mean, he didn't even get a last name. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know. In, uh, oh, yeah. Darren. I don't even remember his first name. Exactly. He got one name and he got zapped in the bathroom and then flushed. I mean, it was just awful. That's not how I want to go out of this world, I'm going to be honest. Well, no. be, he must not have had a family because no one ever came looking for he him. He looked anyway. like a combination of a mustard and ketchup stain just piled on the floor. Yes, um, just bleh. Anyway, so, um, yeah. Cross perfects the yellow jacket suit. Um, he hosts an unveiling ceremony at PIM Technologies. Uh, Scott Lang and his crew and a swarm of flying ants, they decide to infiltrate the building during the event, um, but he is captured uh, by Cross, who intends to sell both the Yellow Jacket and Ant Man suits to Hydra. It's a whole different company now. They're doing great things. Oh, okay, okay, great things. Yeah, they're really doing great things these days. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. Um, so Hydra is still around, and Scott breaks free. He and Hope dispatch most most of the Hydra agents, although one flees with a vial of Cross particles. Hank Pym is shot. Lang pursues Cross while the explosives detonate, imploding the building as Pym and uh, hope escape. Darren Cross dons the yellow jacket uh, and again in a record amount of time putting it on in that helicopter there uh, and he attacks Scott Lang before Lang is arrested by uh, Paxton who is uh, his ex-wife's fiance and Darren Cross takes Cassie hostage to lure Scott into another fight. Cassie being Scott's daughter. Lang overrides the regulator and shrinks the subatomic size to penetrate Cross's suit and sabotage it to shrink uncontrollably presumably killing Cross, although I don't know about that. And then Lang disappears into the quantum realm, but manages to reverse the effects and return to the macroscopic world after he hears his daughter's voice. Out of gratitude for Lang's heroism, Paxton... Aww. Yeah, oh, everyone else gets some <laughs> awes in the chat. Aww. Um, out of gratitude for Lang's heroism, Paxton covers for Lang to keep him out of prison. Seeing that Lang survived and returned from the quantum realm, Pym wonders if his wife is alive as well. Yeah, maybe. We'll, we'll, I guess we'll find out at some point, I'm, I suppose. I would hope so. And then later, Scott meets up with Luis, who, you know, once you put the quarter in, you got to hear the whole song. But he heard the whole song just to find out that the Falcon, Sam Wilson, is looking for him. Mm-hmm. In a mid credit scene, Hank Pym shows Hope a new Wasp prototype suit and says, hey, this is yours. Surprise. And then, and then in a post credit scene... 
Sam and Steve Rogers has a guy named Bucky Barnes hmm. in their custody. And to be fair, Bucky is looking like he needs a little TLC. You know, he's not looking great. Yeah. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, he's looking like a snack. Yeah, you're right. I thought you meant he was like a scrub. <laughs> yeah. No, no, he, we don't want no scrubs. Well, um, he said TLC. So. Yeah, a tender loving care. Oh. Ah, yes. Not two bars left on chili. No, and not tables, ladders, and chairs. Tender loving care. Yes. <laughs> so um, they... Uh, they are talking to Bucky, uh, and they're unable to contact Tony Stark because of the Sokovia Accords. But Sam Wilson mentions that he may know a guy hmm. who might be able to help. So, and that's where this movie leads off. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the movie uh, itself. It was released July seventeenth, two thousand fifteen. It's the final film in MCU's Phase Two. It's twelfth film overall. It grossed one hundred eighty million dollars domestically. $339 million internationally for a worldwide box office total of $519 million, um, which sounds like a lot of money. Um, I don't think it's like one of the highest-grossing MCU films. I think the series as a whole was the lowest, but, I mean, still a lot of money for any kind of movie. Stars Paul Rudd, perfectly cast as Scott Lang. Uh, Michael Douglas as Dr. Hank Pym. Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne. Corey Stoll as Darren Cross. Also stars Michael Pena, David Cannavale, T.I., who knew T.I. had some chops? Judy, Judy Greer with a cameo from Anthony Mackie as the Falcon. Uh, critics and audiences generally like the movie. Has an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 86% from audiences. But the real question is, Kyle and Ashby, did you like this movie? I'll let Ashby go first. I did like this movie. I feel like I say that, I mean... Is there going to be an MCU movie that I don't like, to be honest? Like, really? If I didn't like it, would I Would I love the MCU so much? I mean, I feel like they they don't miss. You know what I'm saying? I mean, here's I the mean, thing. there are at this point, ups they, and downs. At this point, it's hard to miss. I mean, we, we, got, right. we, got through the, right, we got through the dark ages. We got through phase one. Uh, where we right. had to suffer we're through. Right, we're exiting phase two. You know, they're starting to figure it out. They're starting to yeah, we, we, sort of gather the ancillary characters. Exactly. And then, I, I mean, I think there was a little bump in phase two with Thor the Dark World, which we talked about. But overall, right. I mean, I mean, even Thor the Dark World is not the worst of movies. It's just not a great movie. But, I mean, in general, yeah, we like these movies. So, um well, and what I like about Ant-Man, and it makes sense that it's the last movie in Phase 3, because what we're doing is we're sort of taking a deep breath before we enter Phase 3. Um, and it does feel like that. It feels like a little bit of a comedic break. You know, it's lighter for the most part than the other movies. It's funnier. It's a story about family, really, um, other than Clint, which we kind of find out in... Uh, Age of Ultron, the Avengers aren't really uh, parents or big kid people <laughs> that are, you know, interested in, in being parents and being good with kids. And so I really like the relationship and sort of the story of redemption between Scott and Cassie in this movie. And so for a lot of reasons, I feel like Ant-Man, you know, gets some flack in the MCU for being sort of like uh, extra or just sort of like tack on movies mm -hmm. where there's not a lot of, of the overarching plot. I mean, it was, it won't be until the very last few movies of, you know, phase four that we kind of 
come to understand that there were actually some really key things we were supposed to take away from the Ant-Man movies. Um, but tonally, they're very different, and I think that that turns a lot of people off, but I really like that about them. The really cool thing like about Ant-Man, and I think, I don't know if it was this movie or if maybe we can consider Guardians uh, as maybe the first one, but um, there was a question about like if there was going to be like too much superhero, you know, too many superhero movies in the MCU, too many characters to kind of serve. Would there be an oversaturation of those properties? And I think Kevin Feige even said it. Um, he's like, well, no, because each movie isn't going to be the same movie. They're going to be different tonally, different genre. I mean, they're going to be superhero movies, but under different genres. So, like, right. I think Ant-Man was kind of one of the first, if not the first, where it's like, yeah, it's a superhero movie, but it's also a heist film. It's also a heist comedy. And, right. you know, and then you get to see more of that with, you know, Doctor Strange is kind of like that mind-bending, uh, loopy, kind of like Inception uh, then you get like Black Panther, which is just visually stunning and kind of a, a I mean, just a, a glimpse. Right. Of, you know, and then I mean, like, just, you know, Winter Soldier, which is like an espionage. Yeah, espionage. Movie. Yeah. So, yeah, we right. have talked about that. So maybe it was like Winter Soldier when they started really kind of separating. And like, like these are not just superhero movies. They have superheroes right. in them, in them, but they are under different genres that all kind of tie in together. Well, I made a note well, about that. Think- Sorry, I think what what we've talked about before and what really makes that premise work is the fact that for the most part, aside from, you know, some repeats like the Russo brothers and um, Whedon, these movies have different directors. Mm -hmm. And so the different genres and the different tones and, you know, the different casting choices and, you know, everything from the top down, when you have a different director you're going to get a different movie. And so the fact that that directors change as you move through these movies, um, I think is was a really smart move that Marvel made early on that I think DC has yet to learn. Absolutely. And I agree with that. And I'd like I'd made a note saying that okay, Guardians probably did it first for me, but seeing this one, I remember seeing in the movie theater and being like, okay, wow, they really can do this. Right, they can make superhero movies that are all sorts of genres. Like I remember getting that feeling with Guardians, and I think I spoke about it on the podcast. But once I saw this movie, I was like, okay, they can they can do whatever they want at this point. Superhero movies are no longer a one thing. Like they are not just a superhero movie. Same you know with X Men or Spider Man movies of the past or Batman or anybody. They're just superhero movies, and they have that type of tone, but they are not a superhero movie with, you know, uh, a, just a funny, you know, heist movie at the same time that's a superhero movie. Or, the, you know, like, not to reiterate and say the same thing you all just said, but talking about space movies or everything mm-hmm. else, but just to look at it and say, okay, wow, they actually can do this. Because for me, I know if you go back and listen to all the other podcasts, whenever we're talking about Marvel and talking about where do they rank for me, Anytime I've brought it up, like Ant-Man's at the bottom. But after going and watching it again, I realized I probably haven't seen this movie since the first time I saw it in theaters. And I really enjoyed it. Um, We'll get to the point maybe about where it ranks, but it doesn't like leaps and bounds over anything. But like I said, like or I think Ashby said a minute ago, it's where he's been a character that's still not seen yet on the same level of a superhero level as, say, Captain America or Iron Man. Even in these movies up to this point, he's not. 
Um, but it really reminded me of like a heist movie from my childhood that I would go to the movie theater, laugh, and just have a really good time watching a movie and going home. Um, and still enjoying it. Like, But I think the fact that I hadn't seen it in so long, going back and watching it now, it really was just like, it felt like going back and watching an, a movie from my childhood of just laughing and having a good time, not overthinking everything, you know, trying to be like, well, Captain America does this or does that, or, you know, his history is this. And there's those moments there, and there's, there's you know, tons of little things hidden in the movie. But for me, I just watched it almost just as an enjoyment, fun movie, instead of thinking too deep into it as I have in some other superior movies. Well, and to your, right. po- to your point, you know, um, I was in the same boat as you. I don't, this, like, the second time I ever saw this movie was today, okay? Um, I saw it in theaters, uh, like, the week it came out, and then I hadn't really seen it again. Not because it wasn't enjoyable. I mean, it was a very enjoyable movie. It's just not one I would go back and rewatch over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't take away from how enjoyable it was to watch. Mm-hmm. And you made the point that, yeah, Marvel can do anything. Uh, get a character over named Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, to bring that point, uh, you know, just to a like a, another like part here, it's I like that they kind of made him kind of like not on the same level. Like he's kind of like he even mentions in Civil War, like, wow, Captain America. You, I mean, I know you too. You're great, but wow, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just glad you thought of me. And like, you know, but if you look at the future of this character and this franchise, um, you have Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania as a as a Phase Four film, which is going to feature Kang the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert! Who is one? Of, spoiler alert! Who is one of the biggest Marvel villains they have available to them and he's going to get started in the Ant-Man franchise you look at Ant-Man in uh, in Endgame you know and Ant-Man is a crucial piece Ant-Man and all the things that you know Ant-Man encompasses with the quantum round and pin particles a crucial piece to the Avengers completing their mission in Endgame um, and it all gets set up in this little movie that came out after Avengers Age of Ultron um, you know, that's the, the great thing about Marvel is, um, I don't know if they had, I'm sure they probably did have this planned out 10, 20 steps ahead, but they started them off kind of small. I mean, no pun intended. And they really have gone a, just a great length to not only protect the character and the characters around it and the lore around this franchise, but to slowly make it one of the building blocks, um, that completed the infinity saga and is going to help build the phase four and moving forward for the Marvel universe. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like this movie and I, um, I thought, thought it was fantastic. Uh, and I mean, just it, it's place in the MCU while again, no pun intended while small, uh, is super, super important. So, um, what did y'all feel like worked the best in the movie? This is where y'all speak. Okay. Um, Sorry, I was gonna say if I didn't want to jump on jump in over Kyle. Plus, um, Delta has decided that she would like to spend the remainder of this podcast in my lap, all fifty four pounds of her. That's what Grizzly would um, do. <laughs> um, if it was me, I'll just jump in real fast because I don't have like a ton sure. of, I'd like to say. Um, I think the fact that it didn't take itself like too seriously helped this movie to be in a level and distinguished in its own. Not to say it's not serious; there's tons of great parts, but um, say for his friend, um, man, I can't remember names. Luis. Luis, and just how 
perfect it is when he retells stories to that it's come to be a fact in any movie like with, that he appears in in the Marvel Universe. That's his thing. Um, and just like it took itself serious enough to do that, but it said, okay, you know what's going to be a staple in this movie is anytime we're going to do these, this guy is going to retell stories and he's horrible at it, but it's really funny. Like, yeah. Well, and the way they tell the story, it's like you hear his voice, mm-hmm. but his voice is like entering other characters. Yes, and it's amazing. And it's just amazing the way he does it and the way he gets off track. You know, somehow we go down the rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. I thought of that when watching him. was like, that's just like a conversation with the people, I, you know, yes. I know, where he'll start off on one tangent and then mm-hmm. jump off into a whole nother tangent before having to be redirected back onto the main tangent. And it's just, just all oh, fantastic. Um, And the only other thing I would say is, you know, not. I don't know if it's in anybody's like fun facts, but like Hank Pym has a really dark history in the um, comics. Yes. Yeah. In the comics. Yes. Yeah. So if you come and I didn't know like a ton of it, like I knew who he was and stuff coming into this, but honestly I didn't know a ton other than, Oh, he shrinks. Um, and I think at some point he grows and that was kind of what as much as I knew about him. Uh, but to come into it and look into more things now, like this could have been a much darker movie. Um, if they would have stuck with Hank Pym being Ant-Man instead of being the more like role model or, you know, in that type of situation. Um, and it would have been a totally different movie. And honestly, I don't know if it would have worked as well uh, versus, you know, you've got other movies in the superhero world that have their serious takes on things and have some funny little moments versus I really think this, the whole Marvel universe needed this little bit of a movie that was just fun and happy, you know, and type moments in it. So, I don't know. Those are my big things that I really enjoyed watching it. I think to tack on to sort of what Kyle was talking about with, you know, it needed a lighter touch, a lighter tone. I think what really worked well in this movie was Kathy. Um, I think she was cast really well. I think she was given a lot of really good, you know, funny lines. She keeps the tone light but she also i think that her childlike belief you know mm-hmm. in her dad and in heroes really grounds the movie like you get to see some of the things that are happening from her perspective which is refreshing mm-hmm. um she also is just like a really funny kid <laughs> for sure um so you know those some of some of my favorite moments in the film include her um, and then are, you know, sort of between her and Scott. So, and I, I think they expand upon that in the second ant movie. Like, I think they realized that worked really well. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think, I think she's one of the best parts of the movie. And I'll even jump a little further on that. I, I think the relationship between Scott and Cassie is the thing that worked the best for me. Um, where, you know, we, Cassie is fantastic. I mean, she's so adorable, obviously. I mean, I think we were talking about it before the pod, um, just her, you know, she's funny. Um, she's cute. She, and she loves her dad and, you know, her, her dad is a flawed man and he's not a perfect man, but he is willing to do whatever it takes to just get to spend time with his kid. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, every decision he makes is with that in mind. And not only in this movie, but in the movies going forward. I mean, the first thing he did after he got out of the quantum round in Endgame was go to find Cassie. Mm-hmm. Once he realized what happened, he's like, I need to make sure my kid's still here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think the heart of the film is there um, with the, the relationship, uh, you know, the whole family aspect there. 
um, plays a huge role in these movies, and uh, I think it works really great. Um, and tonally, I, I mean, uh, like Kyle said, the uh, the lighter tone. Um, I mentioned, uh, I think Ant-Man and the Wasp came out after Infinity War, and I'm sure we'll mention this again there. But these movies are like the perfect movies after like a big event or before another big event to kind of just reset the, you know, your expectations, to reset your emotions, to kind of give you a, you know, kind of a feel good movie in a, in a way where the stakes are not super high. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's, you're not really saving the world necessarily. You're just defeating a bad guy. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a, that's a perfectly serviceable and great way to have a superhero movie. In fact, it's refreshing because most superhero movies now, it's like, if you don't do this, the world ends. And it's like, no, I'm okay with some lower stakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I I think one of the other things I really liked when you talk about the family aspect of the movie and Ant-Man is, you know, we talk about representation a lot and what that means and, you know, representation is basically can can anyone from any walk of life, you know, look at the movie and feel like they see themselves represented. Um, and we talk about that, you know, across comics and across comic movies. And that goes for families, too. You know, not every single person is or comes from um, a perfect, you know, one mom, one dad together, you know, family there are blended families there are very unique family situations and you know scott and his ex's current boyfriend fiance husband um they do start out combative for like very obvious reasons but it's Mm -hmm. very clear early on that these three people love cassie and that's what matters to them and so towards the end of this movie and then you know, they kind of double down on it in the second Ant-Man movie. You know, these three adults are, you know, they become friends and they get along, you know, aside from kind of the rocky start for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Um, but it's very clear that they are raising this child as a unit um, and sure. that that's what's most important to them in, more than any of their interpersonal relationships. And I think that's really refreshing to see, you know, like, especially moving out of this movie, it's not like Scott and um, I can't remember his name. Louise? The boyfriend. Oh, no. Uh, Paxton. Vince? Paxton. Paxton. Yeah, um, that was his last name. I don't know what his know, name was. Like it's even even in the scene where they're both trying to protect Cassie, you know, like that's what matters to them. And I just think it's really refreshing to see a blended family and to see adults put aside their differences, you know, to make sure that the child that's important to both of them is healthy and happy and safe. And so I really like that component of the movie as well. There's part of that too that I liked where, she goes to her mom and she's talking to her mom. And she's like, is my dad a bad guy? Like, or I've heard that he's a bad guy or whatever. And the mom is like, no, you know, he's not necessarily a bad guy. He's just made some, you know, bad choices or whatever. Um, right. And so to see that the mom hasn't completely turned on it. Cause she realizes that her daughter sees him and loves him um, past all these things. And met, you know, the stuff that he messes up and screws up on, on in his life. Um, and it just reminds me almost of like the Santa Claus and how, um, 
his mm-hmm. mom for the most part is very supportive of the dad until she's not and you know because they're afraid for their child or whatever but you see that relationship later where yes we don't feel the same way about each other anymore but we still I'm not going to put him down in front of you you know or cause issues like that right and like you said and I think that does expand across all worlds and walks of life um and that, I don't know. I didn't even like think about it in that deep of a way when watching it previously, but just you're right. It doesn't just limit, you know, for one nationality or anything like that. Uh, did y'all have any nitpicks about the movie? I'll go like the only one that I had. Um, and as I said, you know, I was talking with Eric a little bit before the podcast, but whenever I watched this the other night, honestly, it just, it was felt like a really good feel good moment just to sit and watch a movie and not overthink it. But the only thing that I had a problem with is Hank and his daughter hopes relationship where they are so like negative towards each other. And there's so much there, but honestly, the more I thought about it, like I hated it cause it was so tense and so stressful. And it's like, I wish you would just love each other. But then I realized like, that's how that's supposed to be. So that's not necessarily a nitpick. You know, the emotions I'm feeling are the emotions I should be feeling. It's not that they flawed it. It's just where they did exactly what they needed to do to get me to feel a certain way. So they succeeded more than a nitpick. So I don't know. That was me kind of reaching for something and knowing like that was the only thing that kind of bothered me because I was like, well, if there's an issue with how her mom died, why wouldn't you have told her how her mom died? Uh, but there was so much more to it. And like I said, that was me just like, was there anything out of this fun moment that I had that kind of made me like a little stressed and that was it. But honestly, it needed that and it was just how it needed to be. So it's not necessarily a flaw where they did it wrong in the, in the movie per se. It's just me stretching, trying to find something. So um, I, I have a nitpick and this is kind of, I guess, a larger nitpick in terms of superhero movies in general um, and maybe even MCU specifically. Um, the villain, Darren Cross, a.k.a. the Yellow Jacket. Mm. Um, my nitpick is, like, I'm tired of villains who happen to be, like, the the same as the superhero. Like, they have the same power or, like, the or, like they're a mirror of the, like, of the superhero type thing. Like, you know, you have Captain America who's all-American and the Red Skull who's Nazi. And, you know, like, they're, they're mirror images of each other. Like, um, and here you have Ant-Man and Yellow Jacket. I mean, I, I don't know, just... Like I said, it's not really a uh, like a you know like a nitpick on this movie in general. Just it's like I don't know, just kind of lazy to me. Um, I will say in general, the villain here, I don't like him, but I think that's that's because he's doing his job. He is kind of a jerk, and he is kind of like he's mean to little lambs and poor what's his name in the bathroom, um, <laughs> yeah. who. Who doesn't have a family, apparently, because, well, I mean, no one ever came looking for him again. Um, just like Darren Cross, I mean, just he's kind of a one-note villain, and, you know, I guess right. that, that could be a nitpick. Although, you know, I, I, we can get to the next question, but he may not be gone. He may just be in the quantum realm, too. Who knows? Um, right. But, but uh, I don't know. Like, I just wasn't a fan of the villain, um, like... I don't know. I guess that would be my Yeah, that was my nitpick as well. But I kind of came at it from a a backstory. I'm just, I I cannot stand the like, 
you know, I looked up to you and you were mean to me, so I'm going to be evil, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. he's resting all of his transgressions and why he is the way he is on Hank Pym. And it's just like, get over yourself, you know, like there are plenty of people that have learned that the world's not fair and have been mistreated and they don't turn into super villains, you know, like I'm just, I was so over his whininess. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and the thing is, if anyone had, you know, should have become a villain in this story because of their because of Hank, it should have been Hope. I mean, right. who, who lost her mom. I mean, and didn't get any real closure from it. I mean, like she has a legitimate excuse. I mean, he was just like, "We could have done this together." Instead, I'm gonna do it without you, and I'm gonna take over the world, <laughs> and I'm gonna sell to Hydra because you know Hydra's still here. Right. I mean, yeah. I think too, and like I'm not saying I don't disagree with what you're saying about the character being the evil version of the good person but i think something we have to remember too is a lot of these characters are based on old comic books that honestly you put comic books out back that and back then that's literally how everybody was for the most part you take spider-man you've got venom you've got the flash you know and you got reverse flash. reverse flash that's literally the and honestly it's very what similar a lazy name <laughs> yeah we're like he idolized him so much until he let him down so he became the evil version of him which is very much what never this seen is. that story before in my life um and you saw that a lot back then um and so even kind of growing up into this honestly i don't know a ton about ant-man i don't know a ton about um yellow jacket or any of that i don't know tons of anything about this history but i know i came across it at some point where it was even he was an extension of ant-man um as to how he came to be um but either way you know i I definitely can agree with that that it's i enjoyed a little bit more when they go a little bit more wide on the villains that they choose so it's not so obviously the opposite of the other person um but also i guess like like i said i'm not an ant-man fan before this movie so I don't know if if you are grew up like as a huge Ant Man fan, is he your major villain? Like, and is he the one that the world expects to be in the movie? Like, if you're making an Ant Man movie, uh, but like I said, that's all coming from a person that doesn't know hardly anything about Ant Man. And I think you see this. I mean, you see it in in the Marvel movies, um, at least early on. I mean, I guess it's it's a way to. I mean, where you don't have to explain to the audience like what the villain does because they do the same thing. Like in Iron Man 1, you had Iron Man, you had the Iron Monger, mm-hmm. who's literally another Iron Man. Yep. Um, same thing with Iron Man 2. Uh, Ivan Banco and Justin Hammer were creating the same kind of suits that Tony Stark had. I mean, so um, it, it's a kind of a play on that. With uh, Thor, you have Loki, mm-hmm. um, who is a, a Norse god. I mean, so I mean, I, I guess it's it's just a simple way of explaining, to you know, he's just like our hero, but you know, evil. Yeah. And I mean, right. I mean, I guess it makes sense in terms of the simplest way of telling stories. I'm just really glad that Marvel has seemed to have hopefully gotten out of that, uh, at least in their movie storytelling. And, you know, we're getting like, I guess, you know, more characters or more villains that are more than just, Hey, I'm just like you, but I'm evil. (laughs) So, um, any other nitpicks it y'all? That was nope. all I had. All right, unanswered questions. Ashby, do you have any un- unanswered questions about this movie? Um, not really. I, I was ha- trying to think about because I, I, you know, again, there aren't really any, you know, like really important plot moments that I thought were sort of, yeah, at the time at least I didn't know that they were going to be important later. So there wasn't anything where I was like, well, wait, what about what about 
that? Sure. What about yeah. this? Yeah. You know, I have three. I feel like everything was kind of wrapped up. At least we thought it was, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I have three. Okay. Okay. First, uh, Mitch, who works for Hydra, he doesn't die in this movie. He walks away with, with the cross particles, and those are still out there. Like, that that's a hanging plot thread that has not been revisited um, in the Marvel Universe. There's a possibility that character could come back with that technology. Um, so that's a, you know, my question is, you know, what happened or what's going to happen with that character and those missing cross slash pin particles. Um, secondly, um, is Darren Cross dead or is he just stuck in the quantum realm? Will we encounter him in Ant-Man and the Wasp 3 quantum mania? Um, and then third, I actually looked up the guy's name. The guy's name was Frank. Okay. He got killed in the bathroom. Why did no one ever realize this guy was missing? He was he was important enough to be in the big presentation, and he asked a question in front of everybody, and all of a sudden, after that meeting, he goes to the bathroom and he just never comes out. Does he not have a family? Does no one? Does the people he that works for him or that he worked for? Did they like? Well, Frank, he hasn't been in two days. So should we do a like courtesy check on his home? Like that was never made a big deal. Why? Why didn't y'all check on Frank? Frank, you deserved more. And I'm just glad you have a first name now, even though I could not find a last. So, if he's in like any of the other characters I looked up when searching for cast, it was probably Frank. Yes, because Luis's last name is Luis. Luis, Luis. Yes, any person that was like the other guy that was, I can't remember his name, but he was the bad guy in um, the Dark Knight. He was the crazy inmate guy that gets caught, and mm-hmm. they're trying to ask questions. Right. Him, that version, that guy that's in this movie. His name was also whatever, whatever. Wow. So maybe Frank Frank is this guy's name. So, yeah, those were my unanswered questions. What, um, what happened to Mitch in the cross particles? Is Darren Cross alive? Why didn't anyone care about Frank? We need a whole side of Disney Plus show we about Frank. We need a Disney Plus show about Frank. His family. Like, I want to know. I want to it's know, a is, drama. Is his family still looking for Frank? So We um, need to search the fandom for Frank. Yeah, see what's happening out. Yeah, uh, Ashby, that's your homework. I want you to do if there's any Frank fanfics. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm on it. It's so sad. It's like a, a lifetime drama. Yes. Just the family, like, where's Frank at? Same. He hasn't come home. He must be cheating on me. And then it turns out. Yeah. When Frank's a cog in the government wheel. No one cares about Frank. Mm, exactly. Um, remind me when we're done recording to describe uh, how Jason Concepcion and Mallory Rubin described Frank after his demise. I can't say it on Ooh. our I can't say it on our okay. podcast because we're a only imagine we're a family show. So, um, random section. Is there anything you want to add? A favorite theory? A rabbit hole you went down when uh, researching this movie? Anything in particular? I didn't. Not I didn't really. Have Do you prefer this movie or Ant Man and the Wasp? Ant Man and the Wasp. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it because I'll be honest. I've only seen Ant Man and the Wasp once. Well, yeah, me too. And so. Ant-Man's more fresh in my mind right now where I want to say this, but I feel like thinking back on it, I had more memories from Ant-Man and the Wasp, like things that happened in the movie. Right. Right. When Ant-Man and the Wasp builds upon all of the things that I love about this movie, like the, you know, the bickering between um, Scott and Hope and the relationship with, you know, between he and Cassie and with the whole, you know, family, the all three adults and the, and Cassie, um, you know, 
the the wombats are back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the three wombats. Yes. And they're they, they get a little bit more screen time, I think, mm-hmm. um, if I remember correctly. But they I just remember them being even funnier and um so I, I think I like Ant Man and the Wasp better. Okay. I'll say it didn't make me excited to watch Ant Man and the Wasp again. Like yes. it made me want to go ahead and watch it. I didn't do it because it was later at night, but well, we'll we'll be doing Ant Man and the Wasp, I believe, in October. So. Well, I hope to see it before then. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at at this point. Absolutely. Uh, what was your what what moment? The moment where you geeked out the most? For me, it's not typically a lot of these moments for me are when it's some hidden or some comic related thing where I'm saying like, yes, this is cool. For me, honestly, this is different. This time, I think for me, it was more the scene where they're fighting in his daughter's bedroom. Yes. Him and Yellow Jacket, where they are out on like a Thomas the Train playset, you know, and that's especially as a child, like that's where my mind would go. Like if you were kids, and or you know, your superpower is to shrink. Like thinking about you fighting with action figures or how big action figures would be, and to see them like literally in a moment where Thomas the Train is about to run him over, and then I love how it jumps out of that up close part to see it from her point of view, and literally just seeing Thomas the Train just fall over. Realize how not serious it is in full size, but how important it is. And then when Thomas Train gets knocked out of the thing and he's giant, like I don't know, it's just that whole scene is a great scene to me. That was my my scene as well. Um, like I guess for like usually the what the what moment where you're just geeking out the most for here is the, it's the scene where I bust out laughing the most. Mm-hmm. Like it's you know they're they're, they're covering up. Although the train's gonna hit us and it, oh it falls down. Yeah, <laughs> just hilarious. It was great editing in that scene in and out from. Yeah. You know, shrunk down life to larger life. Fantastic. If I had to have an honorable mention, it would be the scene where um, Scott shrinks down for the first time. Um, And then Mm. just like the, I guess the camera work where he, you know, the water's coming at him and he goes down Mm -hmm. the drain and and he's down, he's on the, uh, in the dance club and he's on the record and just all all that was just, you know, it was pretty awesome to see from the ant man's Mm -hmm. point of view. So, How about you, ma'am? So I would say the fight scene between Ant-Man and the Falcon, because I feel like having him actually at the Avengers compounds really grounds the movie in the MCU. And then having Anthony Mackie come in and kind of do this cameo scene um, as the Falcon is really funny. And just because Anthony Mackie is so funny, Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Falcon is the perfect Avenger to have opposite Ant-Man when you're introducing Ant-Man because the Falcon is one of the Avengers that has that lighter, you know, more comedic tone. Mm-hmm. And so it wouldn't bring the tone of the movie down too much to have him kind of go up uh, in a friendly battle, we'll say, against Falcon. Mm-hmm. And then I really just love, you know, when he actually does get away from Falcon and manages to steal what he came to steal. <laughs> yep. Falcon. It's like, it's really important to me that Cap doesn't find out about this. Yes. <laughs> well, I think it's important too in that scene where it almost brings you a little bit more of Falcon to life as well, where you've seen him in some other movies, but he's always been the side to Cap. Like, and not necessarily like every time, but to see him there versus to see him kind of stand on his own and be his own superhero this time versus somebody that's helping somebody else type situation. I don't know. It just, it made me appreciate him more and just felt like I got a better vibe of who he is, you know, when he's just who he is versus in relationship with somebody else. Right. 
All right. Well, that leads us to our next and final question before we get to the teach us what we need to know section. Who won the movie? Don't all go at once. Cassie. I'm right there with you. I cheated and I knew my answer wouldn't fly, but I got caught up between a couple of them. And it's both of that way. I said either Scott, his daughter, or Hank and Hope him. Because I feel like by the end of this movie, they've all finally have the relationships that at least one of the two wished that they had. Right. Um, it's not so much that he's a great superhero now or that Hank Pym, you know, defeated his enemy. It's like, no, now Hank Pym can finally talk to his daughter, Hope, where she may consider calling him dad instead of Hank Pym. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to be able to have the honesty out there where they can grow now, yeah. um, you know, discussing his wife or mother. Um, and then also uh, just Cassie and Scott, where he's finally able to be the dad that he's wanted to be this entire movie. From the moment he got out of prison till here, like this is who he's wanted to be. He finally gets to do that. And then I guess, you know, she wins in the midst of that because she has loved her dad throughout this, seen through all the junk that he's done or been through or said or been involved in and just loved him anyway. And now she finally gets to spend time with him and just be a part of his life as well. Um, it was tough for me to call one or the other. I think I agree with both of y'all. I mean, I think the relationship between father and daughters wins the movie here. However, right, yeah. however, I'm going to post an honorable mention to two recurring characters in this film franchise and in the MCU as well. Frank. No. No. Oh. Luis, <laughs> who sets up, who sets up the the um, the relationship between Falcon and Ant-Man moving forward mm-hmm. as the go-to guy, the guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Yeah. And we get the debut of that ugly brown van, which literally plays a huge role in Avengers Endgame. Um, So just the fact that that brown van makes its debut and will eventually play a huge role in saving all of humanity, I say it wins a partial honorable mention for winning the movie. (laughs) Big facts. Big facts. And I, I also say Cassie because... Not just because of the res- the relationship between her and Scott, but because by the end of the movie, the other two most important adults in her life also see her dad as the hero that she sees him as. You know, yeah, she's yes. not caught between her mom and Paxton and Scott. You know, they, they are all three, you know, a united front. And so Cassie gets all three adults in her life, you know, getting along and so I, I think that is another reason I would say that she wins the movie. Once again, very much like the Santa Claus. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Who knew we would be drawing comparisons between oh Tim Allen's the Santa Claus and Ant-Man? I mean, all there the- are actually some really great parallels that there I are. would not have thought about if Kyle hadn't brought it up, but also another really great movie. <laughs> Turns out Tim Allen is part of the Marvel universe. I knew it. Never. I never I knew it. I knew it. Santa Claus <laughs> is part of the MCU. Who would have known? I can't wait to see Tim. First, I can't like, wait yes. to see Tim Allen suiting up to battle 2014 Thanos <laughs> as Santa Claus. As Santa Claus, he's like, "That's a nice face you got, but where's your beard?" Yes, <laughs> I can grow this in five seconds. Oh. <laughs> or he just hands Thanos a weenie whistle, and the movie ends. And the movie ends. He's like, "Oh, Thanos is like, oh, this is what I wanted a thousand years ago." Thanks. <laughs> yes, I've been killing everyone trying to get the world straight. 
because I never got my weenie whistle. And now I've got a weenie whistle. Mm-hmm. Ashby, take us to the next section, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just letting you guys work it out. Uh, in every episode of our Running the Infinity Gauntlet series, we are taking a look at a vital piece of the MCU that helped shape the Infinity Saga. With that in mind, let's assemble together on the helicarrier. Eric, teach us what we need to know about PIM particles. Hmm. All right. PIM particles, also known as cross particles, are subatomic particles of an extra-dimensional nature that are capable of shunting or adding mass and reducing or increasing scale of any form of matter, compressing physical forces around such as objects or organisms that they are applied to, as well as the density and strength of the subject. The particles were initially created in the 1960s by Dr. uh, Dr. Hank Pym, who aided the intelligence organization S.H.I.E.L.D. by harnessing the Pym particles using a custom suit to become a field agent alongside with his wife, Janet Van Dyne. Um, despite Pym wanting to keep the Pym particles secret, his former protege, Darren Cross, managed to successfully recreate the Pym particles in 2015, using it to create the Yellow Jacket suit, which he planned to sell to the terrorist group Hydra and the Ten Rings. Oh, by the way, the Ten Rings were in this movie as well. They were represented in this movie. Um, they'll be making a comeback in uh, Shai, Shai Chi, Chi um, whenever it comes out later next year. Um, so back to uh, Pym particles. Uh, so... PIM discovered and isolated a rare group of subatomic extra-dimensional particles, which became known as PIM particles, um, and he formulated the particles inside a special suit designed to harness them that allowed him to shrink down to the size of an ant. He and his wife, Janet Van Dyne, used these abilities to become shield enhanced operatives, codenamed Ant-Man and the Wasp, Tales to Astonish. Mm-hmm. However, a tragic incident occurred during a missile to defuse a missile attack, during a mission to defuse a missile attack, Janet Van Dyne used the pin particles to shrink to a subatomic level, which resulted in her disappearance into the quantum realm. This caused Pym to abandon the particles and his heroics, swearing to never let anyone get a pin particle as long as he's alive. Meantime, uh, in the meantime, he fi- founded his own company, Pym Technologies. He was ousted out of this company by Darren Cross and became concerned that he was intending to recreate his pin particles, which we saw in this movie. Um, when Scott Lang got uh, shrunk to the quantum round in uh, the post-credit scenes uh, or the mid-credit scenes of Ant-Man and the Wasp, searching for quantum energies to to re-energize the ghost character in that movie. Uh, When he re-emerged from the quantum realm in 2023, he brought the pin particles he had left to the new Avengers facility. He warned Hulk to be careful when he was asserting a vial of pin particles into a new quantum realm as they only had a limited supply since Hank Pym was killed in the snap and therefore they were unable to make more. Lang noted that he had enough for one round trip per member and an extra two for test runs, but then accidentally wasted one by mistake. Um, During the time heist, Tony Stark and Lang botched the attempt to get the Tesseract. After being reminded by Lang that they only had enough to go back home, Stark realized they can go back further to a point where the Tesseract was still in possession of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Pym was still working with S.H.I.E.L.D. so extra particles could be retrieved. They traveled to Camp Lehigh, in 1970, uh, and in the shield facility, Rogers was able to get Pym out of his lab by making a call regarding a package for him. Uh, Steve Rogers was able to infiltrate his lab and get more Pym particles for the trip home. In an alternate 2014, Nebula was captured by Thanos after she and War Machine stole the Power Stone. She was held prisoner on the Sanctuary 2 by her past version of herself in Gamora. Her vial of Pym particles was taken by Ebony Maul, created more of them because apparently he can do that 
So Thanos and his army could go to 2023 to face the Avengers. Um, pin particles, as we mentioned earlier, have the capability to alter the scale, mass, strength, and density of organic and inorganic subjects. Um, the particle's ability to warp mass and size can transport said mass into what is known as the quantum realm, which we'll talk about in the next movie uh, regarding the Ant-Man. Um, there are two types of pin particle serums, blue and red. They are used to power the Ant-Man suit, but the red serum also powers the yellow jacket suit and the wasp suit. They are also used to weaponize pin particle disc. Uh, as the effect shown when the disc hit the targets, red pin particle shrinks and gives increased strength. Blue pin particles enlarges, uh, thus growing mass and gives increased strength and weight as depicted by the enlarged Thomas the Tank engine toy and the ant that Cassie Lane kept as a pet. By the way, we didn't talk about that. They let her keep a giant ant as a pet. How, how Might cool. as well. How cool. There can be negative side effects with the use of pin particles without safety measures. Being exposed to and using pin particles over a protracted period of time can cause extreme levels of mental instability as it alters the chemistry of the brain. Hank specifically designed the Ant-Man suit's helmet to protect the user from this uh, suffering brain damage while using the particles. The pin particles seem to have an adverse effect on set after continuous use on humans. Without proper protection such as the Ant-Man suit, humans turn into what we'll call a protein goo. Even with the protection of the suit, sure. Hank Pym stated that continuous use of the suit has taken its toll and thus further using the suit and shrinking could cause some hazardous health problems to him. Hello, it's Ant-Man. Haven't you heard of me? No, you wouldn't have heard of me. So instead, let's slip on the Infinity Gauntlet and share six fun facts and observations to a piece. One for each of the Infinity Stones. Kyle, you yes. go first with number one. Alrighty. Um, this one is something that I noticed when watching the movie. And so it was cool to see there's a fun fact that I was right. Uh, the laser sounds fired from Yellow Jacket's suit are the same sound as the main gun on an AT-AT being fired in Star Wars movies. Disney owns Marvel and Star Wars. So whenever you're hearing uh, Yellow Jacket shoot the blue lasers out of his costume, they're using the exact same sound that they use in Star Wars for AT-ATs. Fun times. Very nice. I'll do number two. Nashby, you can do number three. Okay. All right, number two. Um, Darren Cross jokes uh, at the beginning of the film that the concept of shrinking humans sounds like a tale to astonish. Mm -hmm. Ant-Man made his debut in the comic Tales to Astonish number 27 in 1962. 1962. Darren Cross shrinks a chair as part of a demonstration. This was taken from the same comic where the first thing Hank Pym shrank was a chair. Hmm. Number three. Hmm. <laughs> When Paul Rudd told his nine-year-old son he was going to be Ant-Man, yes. his son said, wow, I can't wait to see how stupid that'll be. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, man, mm -hmm. no appreciation, no respect. No respect bit. for the dads, no. Kyle, <laughs> number four. <laughs> um, whenever I found this fact, I thought it was cool, and I'd never noticed it before, but it says, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Scott Lang is the first character to take up the legacy of a previous hero. The second character to do so in the movies is actually his partner, Hope Van Dyne, who takes on the role of Wasp from her mother. Mm, very interesting. Uh, number five, uh, when Scott Lang tells Hank Pym that their first move should be calling the Avengers, Hank Pym responds by saying they're probably busy making a city fall from the sky. <laughs> 
This is a direct reference to the events in Avengers Age of Ultron. Number six. The laser sounds fired from Yellow Jacket's suit are the same sound you will hear as the main gun on an at-at in the Star Wars movies. Did you not hear Kyle's? Ashby didn't listen to me. You didn't listen said, to Kyle's fact at all. said, forget Kyle. I'm busy eating dinner, taking oh, a shower, no, you guys... taking a shower, and playing with my you, dog. Um, you uh, you like broke up, and I thought, well, that's okay. I don't need to know what he said. No. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, so you just repeated it. That's For okay. those that <laughs> haven't caught on, Ashby's not here with us. She's at home. We're carefully okay. social distancing and make sure she's I'll okay. I'll find another one. Hold I on. Ju- I, just th- I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> I have one ready if you want me just to go with it. Okay. All right, Kyle, okay. you, you get bonus number six since okay. Ashby decided to use number four. <laughs> Scott's okay. brief work at Baskin-Robbins was originally going to be a Chipotle, but the company did not like the negative portrayal. Filmmakers also considered Jamba Juice and then settled on Baskin-Robbins after realizing that the bright colors would be funny contrast to the dark prison opening. You know what they say, Baskin Robbins always finds out. I think that's right because I mean I don't think Chipotle would always find out. It just doesn't seem right. But Baskin Robbins, that seems like a place that yeah, would know. You can't keep secrets from Baskin Robbins. They mm-hmm. have they have the uh, thirty thirty one flavors. So for sure. Um, do we have any social media shoutouts? Uh, we've got a couple. Uh, to be fair, this was our first week back after being absent for a while. So the way you know algorithms work on social media, they don't really pop up great. Um, and honestly, I haven't done the best job on social media. Which means we got to be super active yes. in the next coming week so we can get our, our Q rating back up on the algorithms. Yes. So, Do your yeah. math, folks. Yeah. Learn. Uh, on the Facebook, Joel Woods Wright called in. Called in. No, says, call me. Call me crazy. But I love Ant-Man. It's a really great backstory to the character and really shows how sometimes a second chance to... Wait. How sometimes a second chance to be the good guy is all a person needs. Um, she also said, plus, he's super close to my dream superpower. He isn't quite invisible, but he is tiny. And over on Instagram, Laura Davis Daniels chimed in and said, I've never gotten into Marvel movies. Please don't hate me, but I love Ant-Man. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp is my favorite of the two, but I do enjoy Ant-Man. We actually just watched it the other night. I love Paul Rudd, and I think he's great as Ant-Man. Awesome. We appreciate y'all jumping in on the social medias, and we hope to have a lot more of you in the coming weeks. All I can think about with Paul Rudd is uh, Grown Ups, and where he rides in, dresses Kiss on a uh, Minotaur. Speaking of Paul Rudd, here's a bonus fun fact. It's really a Paul Rudd fact, more of an Ant-Man fact. This was his highest grossing movie at the time. I can believe that. It it outgrossed, knocked up by like $30 So. Which was his previous highest grossing movie. So, I enjoy him. Yeah, Paul, Paul Rudd was great. My first experience with Paul Rudd was when he was Phoebe's uh, boyfriend, fiance, and husband on the last season of Friends. Hmm. I had no idea. Yep. So, uh, you got anything else for us, Ashby? No, don't think so. Fantastic. Well, big thank you to Ricky Lyles for all of his contributions to today's episode. We hope that you, the listener, enjoyed this discussion as much as we did. We're so happy to be back in the saddle here uh, and that you're as pumped for the rest of this journey into the MCU films and other pop culture entities as we are. Next week, we are going to be diving into a little bit of a different uh, genre. Uh, I believe we're Mm -hmm. discussing 
Mr. Holland's Opus, which celebrated its 25th anniversary at the end of 2020. So we're going to pick it up um, just a couple of weeks after that, um, or about a month after its 25th anniversary. Um, and I don't recall ever seeing this movie. Um, Kyle and Ashby were trying to convince me to watch it at least one more time. You should. Um, so You're a teacher. Yeah. I think you'd enjoy it. Okay. And yeah. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, we'll be discussing that movie next week. I'm sure it'll be a good time and come join us. we got a lot of great uh, topics coming up for you this year, um, including some fashion faux pas mm-hmm. um, or fashion fails, as we, um, as we described. we got uh, favorite soundtracks. Um, last year we did uh, best love songs. This year we're doing best breakup songs. Um, just a lot of fun things uh, in the coming months. Plus, we're going to be continuing our um, journey into the MCU uh, movies each month, and we should be done with those um, in about a year because there's we've done. A, it's uh, good tw- to have endpoints. We've goals. done we've done twelve movies so far. There are currently eleven movies. And then a uh, Wandavision would count as uh, MCU property as well that we'll probably hook up on. So yeah, we've got uh, we got some goals with that as well. So, uh, but we'll be jumping that into this year, and we hope that you're along for the ride with us. Until next time, stay as cool as the other side of the pillow. And remember, Baskin Robbins always finds out. We'll <laughs> see you next week on the What the What Show. What the what? Bye.